Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Officer Jessica Diaz to the podcast. Officer Diaz is a member of the Roselle Park Law Enforcement Department in New Jersey. Her department is equipping patrol cars with new emergency sensory toolkits and are launching a new training for officers aimed at improving their response to situations involving people with autism and other special needs. Officer Diaz is also the mother of an individual on the spectrum and is passionate about spreading awareness, acceptance, and inclusion. Officer Diaz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You sound like the the perfect guest to help put everything into perspective right now as far as, you know, how to keep young adults and children safe in the community, especially when they're in crisis. So I I look forward to hearing all of your answers as we go through this, because you probably have have learned and seen far more than I can imagine. Definitely. Um, And like, like you mentioned before, not just in my professional life, but in my personal life, I've learned quite a bit and uh, been able to, to bring it over to my professional life you know, um, struggles with my daughter or crises that we've had, I've definitely been able to kind of, um, pick it apart and, and, and bring some tools and strategies to work. Yeah. And I mean, you, you mentioned your daughter, but for a lot of parents with a child, um, who's autistic is that you could run into a situation where others in the community don't understand them and it creates unsafe environments at times oh, just yeah. because they, they have a perceived uh, idea of what's going to happen. And yeah. you, you see the panic occur, not only with the child, but with the person who's responding. No, yeah, that's, and that's part of that stigma that, you know, so we try so hard to reduce and the way to really reduce is, is just community education, I, I feel. Yeah. And your your department lucked out is that mm-hmm. not only were you able to vocalize and draw the picture, but you you seem to have support within your department to listen and apply yeah. some of these things, which oftentimes it, it takes the courage to voice it. But you need that listening ear to say, yeah, let's take the risk and implement some of these ideas that are out there. So I commend you for that courage of doing <laughs> Thank <you>. it. <laughs> Thank um, you. But as, as a member of law enforcement and, mm-hmm. and as a mother of an autistic daughter, what does, it, what does it mean to you to create a safe community? So I think that's a, definitely a two-part answer. Uh, in a picture-perfect world, um, having a community that would embrace my daughter despite uh, her sensory issues or, or, or her, um, what she's struggling with um, is definitely part of it, you know, having them really embrace her as well as just her ability to become aware of her surroundings, um, teaching her how to take precautions to keep herself safe. And as well as just having a family in a bigger sense to support. 
I, I think that's would would make our um, our communities a lot safer. Yeah, and when those situations occur, is that oftentimes you're you're in crisis and you're relying on people who might not know your daughter, which is I right. think where this yeah. initiative that you came up with um, came into place. Is not everybody is going to have the specifics to know how to deal with a crisis like a parent would. No. So you need to start empowering those around you. So to get to that starting point, we have to voice our concerns. We have to be able to explore as a parent, what is it that we fear the most? So what are some of these common concerns that parents might have for just their child out in the community that um, might create an unsafe situation, not necessarily how they're dealt with, but just an unsafe situation where they're nervous about their child being alone. Unfortunately, there's just, there's so many, and there's a few that really stick out into my head the most. Um, But the list can go on, you know, Um, one is definitely a lack of recognition, you know, can, or will a law enforcement officer or an EMT or a fireman recognize that my child is special needs? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can they pick up on her absent, her absent of social cues? Can they pick up that she's not picking up what they're picking up? You know, mm-hmm. um, there's also definitely a lack of communication skills. You know, will that same officer, that same EMT um, be able to understand what is going on with her, especially in a case where the child might be nonverbal, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, that can definitely be misconstrued. If the child is older, it can definitely be misconstrued. You would hope that they're picking up that, no, this child's in fact nonverbal and that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then definitely my biggest fear is elopement, you, you know, and I, I think that's, just across the board, if you have a neurotypical child or a child with special needs, that's, you know, um, the biggest fear. And when you have a child with special needs, you know, it intensifies a hundredfold because now you're worried about them um, just, you know, not taking risk factors into consideration and doing things out of impulsivity and mm-hmm. just, just so many different things that could, that could happen. Um, and like I said, those are just a few I can think of, but there's, there's so many different fears that, that um, people have approached me with. And each one of those is so real is that, I mean, you see the stories in the news that are the worst case scenarios. So for every bad story, there's a billion good ones out there, I know. but you see those in the news and it, and it is oftentimes because the child might not respond the way that a typical child would. And some of these responses are very similar to either non-compliant adults or adolescents yeah. or mm-hmm. people who might have um, uh, difficulty with substance abuse or something like that, where right. it's erratic behavior at times, but it's just the lack of coping mechanisms that might right. be occurring at the moment that, that yeah. gives that semblance. Right, right. They, they don't have that ability to accommodate themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it may look like something, like you said, something that's truly not. So that's, absolutely. Um, How do you educate on understanding whether or not somebody might have a developmental delay or how, how do you educate on those facts? Where do you start? So that's a hard question because there's so much to learn about autism. 
you know, I mean, you can go on and have a doctorate's degree and I think still mm-hmm. keep learning about autism. Um, so there's no one blanket solution ever. Yeah. But like you said, um, I think us as law enforcement um, officers, we're a little bit more in tune with picking up on be- behavioral um, cues. Mm-hmm. So I think the focus should really be training on um, recognizing the signs of autism, mm-hmm. especially when versus other types of um, just conditions that are out there. Right. And then two, and this is a training that's a little bit more difficult is learning how to stabilize a meltdown, mm-hmm. learning how to just get that child or that person stabilized to a point where you, you may have more resources coming in to, to further help you, but definitely trying to get that child stabilized from their crisis, I think is, is a very important training. Yeah. I think that the, that the job as a, as a police officer is extremely challenging based on the fact that not only are you there to protect and diffuse situations, but at times you're, you're being asked to have the skills of a clinician. You're being asked to almost have that immediate diagnostic skill of being able to say, Hey, I, I know that this child has autism, like you're describing, which it's almost impossible to do right at the moment. Yeah. So what could a family do to be able to kind of help in these situations? Are there, are there ways that, you know, you could signify to a police officer that, you know, take it, yeah. take a different approach with my child? Definitely. There's, there's quite a few things that you can do. Um, one is the medical bracelets. If the child, you know, will stand a medical bracelet, my daughter will, will not stand a medical bracelet. Mm. So there are, um, and this kind of, kind of comes from having an autistic child. There are things you can put on their sneakers. Um, there's like little just indications that you can put on like between the laces of their shoes. There's also out there um, kind of just a, or even putting some type of insignia on the, um, the seatbelt, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of, it's like a little strap that goes right on the seatbelt. You could do that. There's bracelets, like I said, you you could do before too. Um, Or or if the child is verbal, just kind of teach them to be open about it and verbalize, um, you know, when, when they're interacting with a law enforcement officer that this, this is, I am autistic and these are my sensory issues and, and kind of that, that definitely helps. Yeah. And I would imagine that not only is that for law enforcement, but for, for other uh, service industries that uh, whether oh, yeah. it's the EMT, yeah. like you described, is that anytime where you have a novel situation and people are coming up to you, it's especially with children with elopement or who yeah. have heightened anxiety is that that's yeah. going to create uh, a fight or flight response. Um, and it's going to create yeah. some of that, that, concern for that child. Um, I did, I, so, uh, I, a Fox news article back in Mm -hmm. May, May 2nd, um, showed a nice picture of, you know, some of the things that you're equipping your department with as far as sensory, uh, items to be able to help diffuse situations. So give me a little bit of an understanding of, you know, 
how your department is looking at utilizing some of these sensory techniques to be able to, to de-escalate before a child gets to that level of aggression or where they don't feel like they have control of the situation. So our kind, our goal behind having the sensory kits is definitely like I had mentioned to stabilize a child. Many times when we're, we're, we're getting called out, it's in a crisis response situation and where perhaps a child is having a meltdown or it is an elopement. So many times that's kind of, Um, I feel hand in hand with sensory issues, you know, whether you, they are hypo or hyper and you may want to engage with them or want to kind of accommodate if they're being hypo, uh, hypersensitive to things. And that's what the toolkit is for. So we have many different things in the toolkit. There's a noise reducing headphones and sunglasses, and those are for to accommodate those who, who, you know, need to kind of block out that environmental stimuli. And then we have stress balls, um, medium manipulations, whether it's slime or Play-Doh or something to just kind of keep them a little bit more focused. Um, um, hand, handheld fidgets to, you know, if we recognize that stimming behavior, kind of be able to focus it and channelize it a little bit. Um, as well as like a communication board for those who are nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's done through, I guess, the, the PEC system, where it's just a, um, a series of buttons that uh, you hope that they kind of recognize or, or take on to, right? And then stuffed animals just to bring comfort. Um, but that's those are things that are in our kits um, and the tools that we're, we're using. I, and all of those tools sound so valuable. I look at any any profession in the world is that if we're ill-equipped, it leaves us in a position of yeah. how do I get my job done the way I want to, the way I'm going to yeah. be proud about it. Yeah. And just having those allows you to be able to engage the child in the way that you feel is going to be most appropriate at that time and give you a chance for success. So. When when you're utilizing these tools, and and I'd like to recognize that not only were you uh, given the the requirement now to be a therapist and uh, and protect, now you are an occupational therapist too. I right. mean, so you have all these right. responsibilities going right. on. But um, so there are going to be times where you're engaging the child, and I guess this is where your observational training comes in. Right. But where you almost have to have to give and take. You have to say, okay, so is this going to help the child? And then you go back into your tools. How do you how do you assess if this child is going to benefit from? You know, maybe giving them something that's going to give them comfort, like a weighted blanket, or giving mm-hmm. them a fidget tool. Is it guess and check? Um, I hate to call it that, but so, you know, autism is so unique and it's virtually impossible for us to know kind of ahead of time mm-hmm. what's going to work and what's not going to work. And, you know, I might go to one house where, you know, the child might gravitate towards my fidget pop and the next one may not, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of, um, attempting to find that trigger with, you know, just seeing those behavioral um, cues that they're giving you and feel it out. I mean, in a, in a figure of speech, right. Uh, figure it, uh, feel it out uh, and let, let the child kind of pick out from the bag, 
you know, yeah. once you, once you open that bag, I mean, I know at least with, with Evie, my daughter, once I take that bag out, she's going to have her eye on something, mm-hmm. you know, and you, and even if that's not the case, you may want to take something out and start using it. Uh, whether it's the bubbles, just start kind of blowing the bubbles, introducing it to the child and see if that child engages. Mm-hmm. And if that child engages, you know, include them and kind of have them part of this experience. And overall, we're just trying to uh, meet, meet the chaos with the calm, you know, yeah. trying, trying to calm it down. So. I, I can tell, I can tell you are a parent of a child with autism because you just described reinforcer surveying and it's, <laughs> it, it's so good. I mean, it's, it's looking at, you know, if I want to have somebody engaging with me, in a, in a very positive social way, how do I do that? And you, you right. use the tools you have is right. make them happy first, <laughs> make them right. so they're comfortable first so that then you can get into that back and forth and, and right. help to problem solve. Right. Um, so what is it that, that, I mean, I always look at all these tools are there, but none of the tools are going to be valuable if we don't have the appropriate training going into mm-hmm. it beyond it. What other trainings are going on? And that's what I read in the article too, is that not only do you have these kits, but they really fought for an additional training for yeah. um, police officers. What was that training? What were, the, what were they focused on? So separate from the training that I, I gave in-house, um, we have CIT training, which is um, crisis intervention training. Um, the autism module is very... I think maybe an hour or two and an hour or two, you're going to learn virtually nothing about autism. (laughs) But um, so what we did in house was I just kind of dissected sensory processing disorder, you know, something I deal with every day um, at at home. I just kind of dissected it um, and just kind of made them understand that there's two sensitivities and these are, uh, symptoms, if you will, of those each sensitivities and how to accommodate them. And then just, it's more of a raising awareness and the more that you know about it, the easier it is to accommodate it. So that's what um, the training in-house was was about. It, it's, it was more geared towards this, um, the uh, sensory processing disorder and, and how that could affect a child. Now, I appreciate the the way that that you all approach that is that you went and asked the parents like you are a parent, you know, this, you live this, right? and then you're able to inform your job. I, I hope that other businesses, other police departments are able to realize that, hey, you know what, if we want to be good at this, let's ask our specialists and unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how, how it is, because you know, there's so much value to being a parent of a child who's autistic, yeah, is definitely. that you can help to educate the community around you and help to, in your case, uh, really support uh, an industry of law enforcement that might not know about sensory processing disorder the way you do. And right. I think that's so valuable. What, um, what else can, can parents do to kind of help prepare or to share their experience or to be able to really empower the community around them? You did it personally, but what can parents outside of the law enforcement um, field do to be able to kind of start that dialogue? So, and this is just, again, from um, being a parent is 
um, educating your, your child, right? So for example, I can't take my daughter anywhere without show her, showing her pictures of it first, maybe um, making her understand the layout of things because that, that surprise to hers is not, is not, um, not, not very beneficial. So um, in, in my opinion, just kind of being proactive about meeting law enforcement officers in your community is a big step. You know, if you see someone maybe not at an accident scene, but if you see someone at a 7-Eleven or a Wawa or at a grocery store, just kind of approach them, uh, explain what you're kind of doing and, and just have, and ultimately have your child kind of be more comfortable, you know, with, it's not so much sometimes the person, but the badge, just the uniform, Mm -hmm. you know, having them be exposed in a positive way to that uniform so that when they see it, they're like, okay, well, I've met this person before and I had a positive experience from it. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as have an elopement plan. I mean, I can't, I can't talk enough about having an elopement plan and together with that elopement plan, any sensory issues, any items of interest that your child might try to gravitate towards, whether it's a pool, whether mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, the video game store down the street, or um, if the child just wants to go to 7-Eleven to get, to get a pretzel, you know, all those kinds of things really. Uh, and mm-hmm. when, when an elopement happens, <laughs> you will forget, you will forget, yeah. you know, and when that moment of crisis comes, um, you're going to forget things. So having a plan written down is, you know, it, it helps us a lot more as well as together with familiarizing, you know, take a tour of the fire departments, of the police departments, of, um, you know, if you have first aid squads, that would, that would be good too. Um, and then just a little bit more on the familiarizing, just like YouTube videos, just watching mm-hmm. YouTube videos. Those, those are controlled experiences almost, you know, where they're, you're, they're going to have a positive, um, they're, they're going to have a positive experience just watching them on YouTube. So yeah. those it's, are kind it's of funny like, where media has come in on that is that we've actually yeah. spoken with other guests that do virtual reality and things like that, where it's right. like, you know, it's, you can get immersive experiences in different right, ways. Exactly. Yeah. You had mentioned something earlier, though, that um, that brings to light some some other questions. But it's the idea of, you know, autism is on a spectrum. You're going right. to have a large number of people that you're not going to recognize that they oh, might no. have difficulty processing or they might have a challenge at the moment understanding or staying in line with your thought pattern Um, Mm -hmm. because maybe that social component or that cognitive component is just different. It's not, it's not something that's so obvious, but they, they might think differently. They might approach a situation differently. That's where I think your job becomes even harder. It's, it's not the obvious cases. It's the ones that, you know, this is somebody who I would never know that they might be thinking or processing this event so differently than I am. Um, how, how do you prepare for something like that where maybe it's just the social skill component that might not be there? Um, are there questions that, that maybe law enforcement could ask or to be able to pull that information out? Um, that's a, that's a difficult question because uh, 
sometimes you, you don't want to pry too much, you know, it, most of the time they're from my experience. Um, though they, they might, they might disclose that, you know, that they, mm-hmm. they, they have some type of issue, but for the most part, um, you can sense by their behavior that, um, you know, if they don't want to talk to me and they're just kind of walking away, um, there might be something more. Uh, mm-hmm. We pick up on those social cues uh, as well. So, yeah. or, or the absent of the social cues um, to, to, and then just work around it. You know, a, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people don't want to talk to us as it is. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, just even, even the, the recognition of the fact that you're looking for an absence of social cues or the yeah. distance engagement it it probably indicates you know i I should approach this slightly different there might be another tool in my belt maybe not the sensory toolkit in this situation but a different tool in my belt to be able to kind of work through and say okay they're not engaging me this way how can i get around it and i think those are the trainings that are that are invaluable is that's yeah that's that's one of those yeah that's one and when that's one of those um trainings that like you can't learn from a lecture, you know, mm-hmm. you, it, it's, it has to be more interactive. It yeah. has to be um, perhaps having like, a, I would call them a warrior mom come in and just kind of give the scenario of this, like, this is how my child would act. Yeah. And just being able to, you know, slice it apart and, and kind of um, in a controlled setting, teach people how to deal with it would help. Uh, again, it's not a blanket solution for everybody because every mm-hmm. autism is so different, but having all those experiences would be great. And, and yeah. that's the type of training that I think would be much more or, or, or invaluable really. Um, I, I think that that's all innovative. And I mean, as much as we think that that would be the logical path, is that it does take somebody saying, hold on, guys, let's take a step back. Let's get the right people in the room. Let's talk to the moms. Let's get self-advocates. Who better to talk to than somebody who would say, you know, this is how I'd feel in this situation to be able to talk through it. I think that all of those are great ideas. And I guess future trainings, right? Hopefully. (laughs) I hope so. So, um, and I, I go back to, I know this is super important for you is that um, inclusion, creating the opportunity for uh, your community and, and in your personal case, your daughter to be able to enjoy everything that the community has to offer without feeling that there's any barriers ever yeah. that yeah. she can just get through. What does inclusion mean to you? If you were to look at, you know, best case scenario of an inclusive environment, what does that, what does that mean to you? And what does that mean to you as a law enforcement officer as well. Um, so inclusion to me is integration, you know, mm-hmm. um, having children or people who are, are in the special needs community be integrated um, to the point where they're really a wo- woven into the fabric of, of our community um, and letting them take that rightful place in our society I think that's what it is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as well as teaching our neurotypical children to embrace our special needs community, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of further teaching our future generations that, 
Yeah, they might think a little bit differently than us, but that doesn't mean that they don't have a rightful place in our society. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's what inclusion would be like in, in at least in my world, what, what that would mean. Yeah. So. And I think just the the ability to to kind of put things and understand it's a difference, like you said. Yeah. Is right. that, you know, there you might be looking at things differently, almost like you and I at times probably have different thoughts on different things. <laughs> Everybody has these differences in the way that they approach things. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's we all contribute. We all add wonderful yep. things to the world around us. And somebody who identifies as autistic is no different than that. Like they're going to contribute no. to no. making our world great and everybody else's experience great. So... I, I always I always want to hear parting thoughts, especially because you've had so many wonderful ideas for your department. You've already just put another one out there for us to say, hey, let's bring in these family members. Let's let's get the voice of the community to help educate. But what are your what are your thoughts for families um, and family members of, of law enforcement with uh, children who are on the spectrum or young adults on the spectrum and, and how they can make sure that they're always conscientious of these differences? I, um, I always just like to say, like, let's just be a safe place, you know, and not this building, but um, figuratively speaking, let's be a safe place for our kids, you know, let's, let's be that safe place where that child can be who they are without thinking that they're being judged, or and and knowing that they're openly accepted. Um, Despite whatever issues that they're they're going through you know that's really my 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 parting thought is let's just all work towards being that safe place um someone that 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 they can come to that our community can really come to well i i appreciate you coming on the program today and sharing your world both your home (laughs) world and your professional (laughs) world um because without without these voices, without your voice and your ideas, is that we'd be missing out on the toolkit in New Jersey for yeah. the police department. <laughs> but what is even beyond that is we'd miss out on this dialogue, which hopefully turns your toolkit into other departments and a national response to say, hey, why aren't we emulating this success story? Yeah. So I, I thank you for coming on and sharing oh, this with well, us. Well, thank right? you for having me, you know. That's that's what this is all about, is just raising awareness and hoping that we can reduce the stigma. So thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids, that's plural, dot com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.